Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here they come on third and five. Wilson, boy, somehow escapes. He's going to run for it. Plenty of green grass. Wilson stays in bounds. He's still going. And he's in. Touchdown. Zach Wilson pulling a magic trick. Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore. The 20. The 10. The 5. Touchdown. Two minutes. Swarmed, swallowed, and sacked. Guess who? You only got one guess. Jermaine Johnson. Here's Brees Hall looking for history. Hall with his 24th straight game with a rushing touchdown into the NCAA record books. Listen. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it's time to take a look at the film from the week two matchup between the Jets and the Cleveland Browns. Fun film to look at for sure. And the man who did it for us is the Thunder from Down Under, Mr. Luke Grant, who does all the film reviews over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. Luke, what's up, brother? I am doing a lot better than I was about four or five days ago, two minutes to go on the clock, Jets down double digits, staring another loss in the face, season over. I'm in a lot better place. Things have really turned around since then, so I'm doing okay. Truly is remarkable, and I would say that the number one guy who is responsible for your change of attitude, my change of attitude, and the change of attitudes of a lot of Jets fans is Garrett Wilson. We knew how talented he was, but we didn't realize how quickly he was going to become a number one caliber wide receiver. Now, it's only been two weeks, but Luke, last week you talked about how in the season opener against the Ravens, he absolutely torched the cornerbacks all day long, was getting open, and Flacco just didn't see him. This time, Flacco saw him and saw him all day long. Eight catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns. And you went through and did an entire review of the tape of Garrett Wilson's performance on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash play like a jet. 
I have to say, I was even surprised when Daniel Jeremiah came out and said that he looked at the All-22 and saw that Garrett Wilson was open for two more touchdowns that Joe Flacco didn't see him on. Talk to me about what you saw from Garrett Wilson. We know how good he was, but was he indeed even better than we thought? And was he open for two additional touchdowns like Daniel Jeremiah said? He was literally open on almost every single one of his 13 targets. It was an incredible volume for a receiver in just his second NFL game. But it was extremely impressive because of the the wide variety of ways that he won. I mean, you see the example when he scored his first NFL touchdown in the red zone, stutter step release, sell the inside, uh, move to the cornerback, gets him shifted, and then high points the football in the red zone on the fade. There are opportunities where he was going one-on-one against the safety because Lafleur identified that they were going to be going in a cover two shell. So running vertically from the slot, he was only going to have the safety to beat. He was able to turn him inside out on that deep route just after he came back from the back injury when he got carried over the sideline and injured on that play. Um, and the two plays that Daniel Jeremiah are referencing, one of them is probably my favorite play and the best route he ran for the entire day. They're in the what I call the early red zone. They're about 15 yards out. And they're in a three-by-one set. They've got three receivers to the left-hand side of their formation. Garrett Wilson's the number three, so the slot closest to the line of scrimmage. And he runs effectively a stick-nod concept. What that is, you're looking to run about five yards, turn your body, sell that you're going to turn around and run a stop route, a stick route, something you see from a guy like Jason Witten. You then put your foot in the ground and accelerate north-south, push the route vertically, and then he was wide open. Not wide open. It's probably a strong way to put it, but there's definitely a window that an NFL starting caliber quarterback should definitely fit the ball into. Joe didn't quite layer it. In the end, it bounced off one of Garrett Wilson's hands, was nearly intercepted, but that should have been a touchdown. And on the same drive, two or three plays later, um, he ran kind of an out route to the left-hand side of the Jets' formation, was open again. I actually think that one kind of was more on Wilson than Flacco personally. I think he could have broken that route more shallow i think he kind of got a little deep and closer to the defensive back but all in all i mean he was just spectacular it was the route running it was the releases it was the hands outside of the the big drop in the fourth quarter he beat zone coverage with smarts and intelligence it was the variety of his game and his skill set that really shone and he really was open throughout the entire contest against cleveland with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... 
To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Luke, we were talking about this before we started recording, but given the performance that Garrett Wilson had against the Browns, you would expect that his player projection for his daily fantasy entry over at prizepicks.com would be enormous, but it's only 43.5 yards, which is a bargain. I also think that Corey Davis at 39.5 yards is a bargain too, considering that he's averaging 80 yards a game so far, and we'll get into that in just a second. But if you want to play at prizepicks.com like me and take Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson to get more than their allotted yards, 43.5 for Garrett Wilson, 39.5 for Corey Davis, you can do that. Or you can take anybody else involved in the Jets-Bengals game or any other NFL game. Here's how it works. You pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people, just you versus the projections available. NFL, college football, NBA, college basketball, MLB, UFC, anything you want, it's all there at prizepicks.com. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepicks.com and sign up to play daily fantasy sports. First-time users receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code PLAJ. If you deposit 100 bucks, PrizePix will give you 100 bucks. If you deposit 50, PrizePix will give you 50. Don't forget to enter the promo code PLAJ at sign up for an instant deposit match up to 100 bucks. And Luke, like I said, we talked about Garrett Wilson, but Corey Davis has been a pretty big factor too in the first 2 weeks. I know that obviously there weren't a lot of points scored week number one against the Ravens and Corey Davis did have that one drop where the ball was behind him, but otherwise he had a pretty good game. He led the Jets in yards this past week against the Browns. He didn't lead the Jets in yards, but he was second, had that big 66 yard touchdown grab and Elijah Moore. He was open all day and you posted something about this on Twitter Yes, he ended up having over 40 yards receiving, which on the stat sheet doesn't look that impressive. But when you go back and you look at the tape, you see how often he was open. He easily could have had a 100-yard day just like Garrett Wilson. So talk to me a little bit about what you saw from the rest of the receiving core and why we should all be very excited based on the film you watched about week number three against the Bengals. Yeah, I thought Corey Davis was fine. I think when you look at Joe Flacco and Corey Davis's numbers, they are obviously inflated by the fact that the Jets put up that offense in the last minute and 30 seconds. But look, the deep touchdown was great. And he's had a knack of finding a way to get open vertically down the field. Look, would I classify that as a bust? Yeah, I would 100% say that was a significant mistake from the Cleveland secondary. But at the same time, Corey Davis had the big play against Tennessee last year. And he's kind of made a habit of being this deep receiver. When you have Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson, you kind of don't think about Corey Davis as the deep threat, but really he has been that guy for the Jets. And then over on the other side of the field, Elijah Moore, he was so impressive. I think there were three or four times that Garrett Wilson, uh, sorry, yeah, Garrett Wilson got the ball, and I thought, wow, that could have gone to Elijah. I'm not saying that was a mistake from Joe Flacco, but 
it's just showing you how barren the cupboard and bare the cupboard has been for the New York Jets at the wide receiver position, that now we have this influx of young talent. We've got two guys that are getting open six, seven, eight times with great separation, making it easy for their quarterback. And that's something we really have been craving and we haven't had in this offense. And I think it also speaks to what uh, Mike LaFleur and this offense wants. And we kind of talked about this through the last couple of years of the draft. They want route runners. They want speed. They want explosion. And those three characteristics, and plus run after the catchability, those characteristics really encapsulate and embody what uh, both Wilson and Elijah Moore do best. So they've got an opportunity to be a great duo. I'm not going to put a you know top 10, top 15, whatever. I just think they can be an excellent uh, one-two punch for the Jets. And then you have Corey Davis, who's, as you said, averaging 80, 80 roughly yards and, and has a touchdown as well. It's a dangerous trio. Braxton Berrios can do a bit as well. This is a deep group, but it's a group that's easily the most talented the Jets have had since 2015. And when you watch the tape, I think a big part of it is that Joe Flacco started to settle in late in the game and was able to hit Corey Davis on that big play. And of course, throughout the course of the game, he relied heavily on Garrett Wilson. Talk to me about what you saw from Joe Flacco because... I thought he was fine, especially at the very end. I thought he really picked up his game. But people are getting a little carried away based on the overall numbers that they saw. He's thrown for over 300 yards the first two weeks. The first week, I didn't think he was very good. This past week against the Browns, I thought he was solid, especially at the end, like I said. But people might be making a little bit too much out of this just based on that last two minutes. That's what's spurring a lot of this. Should the Jets roll with Joe Flacco over Zach Wilson talk, which, of course, I'm sure is not actually happening at Florham Park. So tell me what you saw from Joe Flacco. Was there more good than bad? And how much was it just people getting excited about the win and those last two minutes as opposed to the entire game? You know what, Scott? I think he was okay throughout the performance. There weren't many egregious mistakes. The Jets moved the ball pretty well for the majority of the game. I would say there was some... Um, you know, a couple of fundamental errors. The the strip sack that Jadeveon Clowney got, for me, looking at that, that's on Joe Flacco. Max Mitchell did a pretty good job. He pushed him around the edge. Flacco had two or three feet to step up and throw the ball. He should have made that, made that play and made that shuffle and adjustment inside of the pocket. Outside of that, though, there wasn't really anything you thought, oh, that's really bad play. He's turned it over. He's missed a wide open receiver. Yes, he missed that Garrett Wilson touchdown I talked about earlier. But in the whole, he was fine. He was okay. But in totality, if you looked at the first quarter, sorry, game in three quarters that Flacco's played at quarterback this season, it's been pretty bad. I mean, he was probably a bottom five type quarterback. And I think because of the recency bias and the way we think and the fact that he gave us one of our favorite moments in the last decade as Jets fans, it's very easy to kind of glorify his performance. I think he was okay. I think he was pedestrian. And that's all you need from a backup quarterback in the NFL. You're not going to get better than that. So I think... Look, he has the ability to find the open guys. I think he's been getting to his check down a little bit early, and that was an issue that he had in week one against Baltimore. I think he rectified that. He had more trust in the offensive line. That's a big, big factor. When you're on a mobile quarterback who can't move very well in the pocket, having trust in your offensive line, especially against Miles Garrett, Jadevian Clowney, is enormous. And I think that he had more confidence, so he believed in his reads. He thought he had more time, and that allowed him to get the ball to guys like Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis more rather than this high volume of throwing the ball to uh, Brees Hall, Ty Johnson, Michael Carter, and not getting a whole lot out of it. So I thought he was okay. I think there's some recency bias, but all in all, we've got one more week of Joe Flacco, then hopefully we can just move on with life. 
Luke, since you brought up throwing to the running backs and you talked about the offensive line, let's discuss both of those units. I thought Brees Hall was really, really good, averaging over seven yards a carry, catching that pass for a touchdown. Michael Carter, quiet, carrying the ball, but did do some damage through the passing game. And the offensive line, I thought they were okay. I think people are getting a little carried away, saying that they're this really good offensive line when they've just been so-so. Max Mitchell was okay, didn't embarrass himself. I think the way you describe Joe Flacco is exactly how I would describe what Max Mitchell is doing. He's been serviceable. He's exactly what you would want out of a backup offensive lineman. George Fant has struggled quite a bit. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been terrible. He's been okay. Connor McGovern, same story. The one that really has stood out to me has been Elijah Vera Tucker. He has been absolutely awesome, helping to open up holes in the running game. And his pass protection this past week against the Browns was very, very good. Lakin Tomlinson, disappointing so far. But at least he was better in week two than he was in week one. So tell me what you saw on the film from the running backs and the offensive line. Yeah, I think you saw, speaking about the running back group first, you started to see the explosiveness of Brees Hall. Obviously, he had the touchdown where he was thrown at the ball to in the uh, the right-hand flat by Joe Flacco. It was pretty much unmarked and, and an open touchdown, very easy play. So I'm not going to get too much into that. But, you know, there were some examples of him running the football where he looked explosive. You saw him bounce the ball to the outside and make a deep play and get the Jets into the red zone when Garrett Wilson ended up scoring the first touchdown. I liked that. There were a couple examples, and Robert Sulla kind of mentioned them himself of where he probably wasn't decisive enough. I've talked about it a fair bit that this system likes one cut decisive runners get north, south, hit the hole and make that decision and stick with it. There was a couple of times he was kind of floating along the line of scrimmage was being a little overpatient. I think he would get better in that respect, but you saw the big playability. You saw his ability to catch the football, but I don't think we can undersell what Michael Carter is doing either. I think Michael Carter through two games has been really, really good. And He's also shown that wiggle. He had, I think, two 15-plus yard runs against the Ravens. I thought he was solid again. Had a big catch on the last drive, game-winning drive against the Browns where he got out of bounds and went straight past Denzel Ward. I think they're a really nice duo. And as I said when we drafted Brees, having Michael Carter there is going to help him as well. So they were really good. And then the offensive line, Scott, I thought it was a big improvement, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily there yet. That's just based on how poor they were in week one. I thought Fant was probably the worst. Again, I understand it's a tough matchup with um, Miles Garrett. Of course it is. But, you know, I just didn't think he was fantastic. Uh, Lakin was a little bit better. I think he still gave up four or five pressures. But you're right. ABT's the guy. Playing his second career NFL game at right guard, he was fantastic. I think he got tallied for two pressures, which is great when I think the Jets threw the ball something like 49 times. The thing he did so well was contain people on the interior because look we all know that it can be difficult when you have exterior pressure and a guy like von miller bending around the corner but joe flacco as a statue if you come at him directly through the pocket and you push the pocket he is not going to be able to do anything and it's going to result in throwaways sacks and negative yardage avet really set the tone inside in that phone booth there were a couple of reps that i loved as well these kind of splash plays one of them uh, on actually the strip sack play from Jadevian Clowney, they lined up Miles Garrett right next to him on the interior as the three tech. And it was one-on-one, man-on-man, AVT versus Miles Garrett. And it was a decisive win for Elijah Rotaka. I know it's a small sample size, but you love to see that kind of growth and, and winning those marquee matchups. The other one I love showed off the other side of Elijah's game. And that's looking at his athleticism in space and his finishing ability. There was a little screen, a delayed screen to Michael Carter, right-hand side. 
and they throw in the ball. AVT comes up and absolutely destroys Greg Newsom. Like he throws him 10 yards backwards with one punch and then goes on to block the safety and drive him 15 yards and off the screen. That kind of play is still there. We saw that in his rookie season, but it's been the development in pass protection that's really impressed me. And in all, all in all, I think they've run the ball really well. The O-line's doing a good job paving the way of uh, of opening up these gaps. The Jets are averaging 4.8 yards per carry. That's without a quarterback rushing either. So that's good for 12th. When you take out quarterback carries, that moves them up inside the top 10. There's potential here in this offense, but it's going to start with the offensive line because they're the engine that needs to drive this. Luke, Robert Salas said during his press conference this week that the Jets' pass rush needs to get better as they go up against a Bengals offensive line that surrendered 13 sacks in the first two games. When you looked at the tape, what did you see in terms of pass rush deficiency, and was there anybody that stood out to you in a positive way in terms of getting to the quarterback? It was a little bit mundane. I I didn't think uh, we were particularly exotic coming at Jacoby Brissett. I don't think we rushed the passer with great efficiency. I know Carl Lawson's expected, you know, win rate, pass rush win rate with ESPN, which is a stat that I don't like at all, was high. I, I think he was pretty disappointing. I'm not thinking that's an issue. Carl Lawson's two games removed from an Achilles tear. That's a serious injury for an explosion-based athlete. It's going to take him a while to get his legs back underneath him. But look, when the Jets needed a huge play, Quinnen and Carl Lawson made the play, and that was getting the sack, getting them out of Cade York's field goal range, in the end, obviously, they scored after that, and we saw the comeback that followed. But at the time, that was the Jets' last real hope, so we thought, of winning the football game, and Carl Lawson and Quinnen delivered. JFM had flashes as well, actually not playing as much as I thought he would. I think he's only played an average of uh, 47% of snaps through the first two games. So the usage is quite low, but as we know, Salah loves to rotate his guys. thought he was okay, but outside of that, they didn't do a good enough job. Um, I understand that the Cleveland Browns were clever. In week one, they struggled throwing the ball vertically. Jacoby Brissett was terrible, like so, so bad in week one against the Panthers. So they just went to the quick passing game, three drop, three-step drops, and they simplified it completely. And then obviously the running game eventually got rolling in the fourth quarter. But yeah, the Jets, they, they really didn't have an impact on that side of the football when it came to rushing the pass. I thought they were pretty underwhelming. I'm interested to see if Robert Sala goes to these more exotic looks and starts to bring more blitzes if they continue to not get pressure. This is going to be the test this week because Cincinnati has a bad offensive line. No matter what they do, it just seems like they're doomed to have a bad defensive, uh, sorry, offensive line forever. If the Jets can't get pressure this week, that's going to start raising some eyebrows for me. Luke, as far as the coverage, I thought DJ Reed played very well and he was all over the place making tackles, but the safeties didn't seem to do a very good job covering. And Sauce Gardner was okay, but he wasn't the shutdown caliber corner that you saw in week number one throughout the preseason and what you heard about in training camp. Tell me what you saw in the film, including Amari Cooper and how he may have exposed some of the Jets' secondary's weaknesses. You know what, Scott? I think DJ Reed through the first two games has been the Jets' best player. And that's saying something considering how well we've seen Garrett Wilson grow and how much he's been open. DJ Reed's been that good. He's been a top five corner in the NFL. After last year, according to PFF, as we say, we like to use their, their stats and they back up our arguments. He was the ninth rated corner in the NFL last season. I think that went under the radar because of where he was playing and because of how bad Seattle were. He was legit and he's proving to be legit again in man coverage, in zone coverage. It doesn't matter. He's looked phenomenal. And I thought he was fantastic again. He allowed a couple of receptions in zone. They don't really count. You're trying to keep the guys in front of you. It's a short game. Brissett getting the ball out of his hands quickly. He was a huge tick uh, again in week two. 
As far as Sauce Gardner, I thought he was fine. I think for a rookie, I think he played quite well. For a normal, you know, just take away uh, statistics and resumes, I think he was okay. And that's fine. That's that's what you want. Amari Cooper's a tough matchup. He struggled on a couple of third and shorts or Cooper got him with some slant routes. I actually thought Sauce played them pretty well, but didn't quite get his arm on the football. That's going to come. The instincts, the timing, and getting to some of these guys who are really silky at the line of scrimmage like an Amari Cooper. Outside of those two, I actually think someone that no one's talking about for the first two games is Michael Carter II. Mm-hmm. He's been pretty good. Like He's playing at a very high level in the slot. And because of the safety issues, I think people kind of focus on DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. I think Michael Carter's also been one of the premier slots in the NFL through a very small sample size. Yes, I understand. But I think he's continued some of the positive signs we saw in his rookie season. So that excites me. I loved his tape out of Duke, and I thought he was really good again. He's also terrific as a run defender. Um, so you can kind of play him in the nickel sets, even against some slightly heavier personnels. But the safety, Scott, the safeties, they're grading out terribly. I think it was according to ESPN, they were the worst and third worst safeties through weeks one and two. This is a serious concern. Look, we know that Bucks fans and the coaching staff didn't have the most faith in Jordan Whitehead as a pass coverage guy. I actually thought he was okay, around average. He hasn't been quite yet. Um, he's been quite disappointing. And yes, he's going to fly around the box, but his pass coverage has been poor. And then Joyner has just, he's been a disaster. He looks like someone who hasn't played football in two years. He looks like someone who hasn't played free safety in three plus years. And that's exactly what he is. It's been uh, indecisive with which routes he's jumping, uh, making mistakes with who's entering his zone. His missed tackling has been just killing the Jets. Even in the Chubb touchdown, which ended up winning us the game late in the fourth quarter, DJ Reed gets stood up. Yeah, okay, you miss a tackle occasionally, but join right there after him missing a tackle. So the Jets need to do something. They've got a serious issue at safety. There's not much you can do uh, because we're in a pretty bad position where the season's already started. You can't really uh, draft someone now. So they're going to have to rely on those two guys getting better. Do you look at a Will Parks? You saw Ashton Davis with a 100% interception rate on Sunday with his one interception. They've got to find better play back there because they're killing us on defense. Luke, against the running game, which is probably the best in the NFL, the Jets really wilted in the fourth quarter. Kareem Hunt had a nice day, but it was really Nick Chubb who ran everybody over, had three touchdowns. We know the circumstances of that last touchdown, although the people that are blaming Nick Chubb really need to get a grip because that is still one of those situations where a thousand crazy things had to happen for the Jets to win, even with Chubb not going down and going into the end zone. Tell me what you saw on tape that made things much more difficult for the Jets against the running game in week number two than week number one. Because week one, they did a good job against the Ravens, who have a subpar running attack aside from Lamar Jackson. This time they went up against the top rushing attack in the NFL. I thought they did better than the Carolina Panthers did the week before, but still they certainly need to improve in that area. Can't let what happened against the Browns happen too many more times this season. Yeah, definitely not. Before I get into it, I want to speak quickly about the Nick Chubb touchdown. This is the coaching staff's fault. This is the reason that I thought it, looking at the All-22 I mentioned on the video on YouTube where I broke down the last two minutes of the game. When Nick Chubb broke the tackle of DJ Reed, I froze the film, and you can see Jacoby Brissett, the quarterback who makes the calls and the communications from the coaches, he's signaling touchdown 10 yards before he gets there, and he wants him to go and score the touchdown. That message hasn't come from the coaching staff. The expectation of Nick Chubb to then think of that on the spot, you can't have that if that hasn't been relayed in the huddle. That's got to be a 
message to the quarterback, guys, get the first down, get out of bounds, get down. It's the two-minute warning. It doesn't matter. The game's over. It wasn't there. Blaming Nick Chubb just is, I think it's pretty weak, to be honest. Going back to your original question, Scott, I thought through three quarters, we were fantastic against the run. They did look heavily. They were still sticking to their guns, Cleveland. They ran the ball a lot. The Jets had them at like three and a half to four yards per carry. They did a really nice job preventing big gains on first down. Then very early in the fourth quarter, Nick Chubb finally broke one uh, to the right-hand side. I think it was uh, a run inside. They actually, they really struggled on the perimeter for most of the game. They started to break us down inside with some of these gap scheme runs. Um, And that's why I actually pointed out against Carolina. They are a versatile team. They're not just wide zone, outside zone, pin-pull concepts. There's a lot more to their game. I thought Quinnen played well on the inside when he was healthy. I know he went off through the middle part of the game. I thought Rankins had one of his better games against the run. He's really struggled. But outside of that, they really struggled in the fourth quarter. And Kevin Stefanski said it in a mic'd up. He said, it's so good when they know you're running the football and you know you're running the football and you still run it down their throats. And that was concerning. The Jets' defense fell apart in the fourth. And that's why I've been so concerned about Robert Sulla, Jeff Oldbrick in this unit. They just don't have consistency. And you can do it for three quarters, but it means jack if you can't back it up in that money quarter because the Jets are in the game. They tied it up with a field goal, that 57-yarder from Greg the Leg. There was there to be one before they had the meltdown and before they had the comeback, but they just let the Browns run all over them and they ran out of steam and it's just not good enough. Luke, any other observations that you had from watching the tape that we didn't talk about yet? I'm a little bit worried about Tyler Conklin, to be honest, Scott. I, two things. First of all, what I was going to say was he's had, I think, two or three drop balls he's had two fumbles it's becoming a bit of a concern and it's becoming a bit of a trend but i actually thought he did a really nice job on miles garrett that's the positive i think when he came from minnesota he was i think last year one of the if not the best pass blocking tight end in pass coverage uh sorry in pass protection and i think he did a really nice job with his chips and giving help to george fant and to max mitchell these check and releases into the flats i thought he he was kind of nice in that department but all in all, the Jets have to do a better job catching the football. There's been too many drops through two weeks. Joe Flacco isn't putting the ball in the best location. We know that. But at the same time, the Jets are way too talented to have drops, even though they might have saved them in the fourth quarter because you had Tyler Conklin and Ty Johnson both drop a ball in the middle of the field on that drive where the Jets ended up winning the game. They only scored with 22 seconds left. It probably saved their bacon and saved a whole lot of time off the clock. But They need to do a better job holding the ball. You can't make these fundamental mistakes and expect to convert on third and long because the Jets just aren't there yet on offense and they don't have the quarterback with Joe Flacco. Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under. Thanks so much for coming on and breaking down the All-22 from the Jets. Victory over the Cleveland Browns. Really appreciate it. For those who want to check out everything on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash playlikeajet, you've got a lot of fantastic videos up. Talk about what's up there, what's coming, and also what people will see when they go to our store over at tpublic.com. That's teepublic.com. Yeah, the tea public stuff is awesome, Scott. We've got just some different designs um, and kind of caricature style um, merch that my partner Alex helped to design. We've got a Zach the Ripper, as Zach says, go long, talking about that throw to Corey Davis. Hopefully he adds to some of the merchandise when he gets back on the field in a week's time, fingers crossed. We've got a Quinn and Williams, John Franklin Myers, bless you, thank you range, Play Like a Jet logo merch. You can find it all there. Make sure you head over to T Public, search Play Like a Jet, and you will find us. Helps us out, help yourself out, lots of presents. Make sure you do that. And then over on the YouTube channel, look, it's been awesome just seeing the Jets play football. Uh, the love and support we've had for our content over there has been awesome. We post almost every single day. 
a lot of all 22 breakdowns, looking at you know, a lot of the rookies, uh, talking about Garrett Wilson. Obviously, he's been a sensation. Uh, talking at the last two minutes of the game, a video I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, we're going to take a look at AVT this week. Uh, there's just going to be so much. We're going to have snippets from all the podcasts as well, all the great guests that we've got over on the channel. So make sure you check us out. Keep supporting the channel and hopefully the Jets keep uh, providing us with great content. Make sure that you check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. Visit our store, tpublic.com. That's teepublic.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.